So friends, before Maureen reads our scripture, she's making her, her way up right now, I just want to draw your attention to three things about this scripture, much like I drew your attention to three things about the scripture last week. So last week, before the scripture was read, I asked you to listen to how that selection from Luke was this three-part selection. And so this week, again, listen for these three different parts. There's three distinct parts in this lectionary reading. And the first has to do with fear. The second has to do with treasure. And the third has to do with readiness. So keep an ear open for those three parts, which are an important thing in their distinctness and in how they connect to one another. So Maureen. I think I can see it, yeah. Good morning. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your God has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes, truly. I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the home had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect the Lord. Amen. Friends, will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts collectively be acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, which we've been reading, as I said, through July and August. And this particular passage comes from what's known as the travel narrative, in which Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. So these scriptures that come from this travel narrative, they span roughly ten chapters that take Jesus to Jerusalem. And at the start of the scripture, we have this saying... Do not be afraid, little flock, for your God has been pleased to give you the kingdom. 
And it's a little bit confusing because this saying is in many ways really linked to the scripture that came before it that talks about money and finances. This scripture that starts in Luke 12, 22. Jesus is encouraging his followers to not be afraid, to not live in fear, especially with regards to how that fear dictates our actions in the world, such as an urge to accumulate more and more wealth or status symbols or material possessions. So this first section of this morning's scripture, it's really this call to the reader to become more aware of what our fears are and how those fears may in turn impact our actions negatively. So while at times our fears are motivating and they may drive us to positive action, that's rarely a recipe in our lives for long-term stamina and joy in day-to-day living. To be driven by fear is not what God intends for our lives as evidenced in this morning's scripture. Often the fears that we have as individuals, they lead us into these actions that further the systems and structures of power that are based on fear and a scarcity mindset. We're afraid, so we buy the kinds of things that we think will keep us okay and secure and feeling okay in our day-to-day lives. They further these systems of materialism and such. So I wonder this morning, what might it look like to pause and to become aware of the fears that we might have in our day-to-day lives, to sit with those before moving to fade them or fix them or solve them? What does it look like to hold a fear up to the light and become more aware of it? Bring it out of the shadows and invite that light of God to shine upon it. Fear and pain are these intricately linked concepts in our human experience. Fear is often this anxious precursor to pain or to a perceived pain, whether actualized or kept to rehearsal in our minds. There's this beautiful poem by this poet called Orion Mountain Dreamer, and it's called The Invitation that speaks to this call to become more aware of our fears, and in this case, she calls it pain. And here's a portion of that poem that I'd like to hold up next to this morning's scripture. She says, it doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. So what does it look like, friends, to become aware? To become aware of these fears that the scripture is this morning speaking to. To become aware of the things that are our anticipated pains. What does it look like to hold those in awareness and to invite the spirit into that mix? What does it look like to be aware of the fear and to give that to God whose perfect love casts out fear? Several years ago, I went through a very scary time medically. I had passed out on Pentecost and was struggling with dizziness day to day. Doctors worked to figure out what was going on and ultimately had great success, got all that squared away. But for some time there in that month of May, I was living in that medical unknown that so many of us have been in once or many times in our lives. 
And as I lived in that space of unknown, the between the tests and the results, between the phone calls that you play phone tag with the doctors, as I lived in that unknown, I felt fear. And I realized that being my fearful self generally led to these actions of strident and fierce independence and self-sufficiency. That when I felt afraid, I got that much more independent. When I felt afraid, I got that much more, I can do it, everything's fine. And so I realized that about myself. And I realized that what I needed was really to do the opposite of that. What I really needed was something else. Because that fierce independence, it wasn't helping me, and it wasn't helping anyone around me. So I chose instead to turn my fear into love and reached out to several friends and family members to form a circle of people who cared about me and loved me and who I could lean on and rely on. My fear during that period, it could have swallowed me whole because that's what fear does so often. And my fear, it could have isolated me into this flurry of worst case scenarios and late night Googling and research as thoughts of fear so often do. But instead, I worked to become aware of the fear and to choose to turn it into an opportunity for love to break in, an opportunity to lean on my community of loved ones and to lean on God. The Christian tradition invites us into a spiritual response to our fear. Prayer, belief in better ways being possible or resurrection, belief in our own call to contribute to the kingdom and to the resistance. That resistance of fear and that leaning into love. That's what our spiritual tradition calls us to do. As evidenced in this morning's scripture. So if you think about this travel narrative piece in Luke, the first part is about fear and what God says about fear. The second part is about treasure. So the second part of this morning's scripture, in it it says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. If you ultimately rely on the material possessions, that purse of items that the moths eat that says in this morning's scripture, if you rely on those to protect you and to save you and to love you and to give you peace, those material possessions are where your love will be channeled. That's where your heart will be. So this is a call to us to think critically and strategically about our relationship to the material items of this world. What might it look like to take the time to critically engage your relationship with the treasures of this world? To think about your money and your material objects and those items that convey a certain status in society. Before moving into the parsonage this spring, I took a month to engage the Marie Kondo KonMari system. And Marie Kondo is this organizing and tidying expert from Japan whose books and later Netflix series swept up America. And for about a week, we were hearing about everybody's stuff. It was a call to be more thoughtful in our material relationships. And on the surface, it's a system that's all about tidying up. But more deeply, it's a system that is about the spiritual relationship that we invest in our objects which occupy our houses. In the KonMari system, she asks people to take an object, every single object in their house, in their space, and to hold each object and to ask themselves whether or not it sparks joy for them. 
So I had a full month available to dive fully into the KonMari system between when I knew that I would be coming here to Nahant to be with you all and when the moving truck was going to be outside the house. So each day, for hours and hours, I worked the system. And I held every object that Nicole and I owned and asked myself whether or not this was something that we wanted to bring with us into the next chapter of our lives. Was this object something that we kept out of sadness, obligation, guilt? Was it a shirt that one of us bought at top dollar and we don't actually enjoy wearing it? Yes? Then we found out that that shirt needed to be thanked and passed on to someone for whom it could be a source of joy. And so we did this with each object in our house, each book, each piece of paper, each piece of clothing, every sock, every spoon in the kitchen, miscellaneous items, one category of treasures after another. We're put through this rigorously thoughtful test, an exhausting test, and in the end, we had a lot less stuff and we had a lot more joy about what we did have. Overall, it was this awareness building exercise. And some criticize this as this less than practical approach, this asking of each object whether or not it sparks joy. And there's some truth to that. There's a lot of privilege that's inherent in that very simple phrase. But what she gets at in this Marie Kondo system is this need to recognize that our physical possessions, they do have power in the spaces that we inhabit. And scripture says, where your treasure is, your heart is. So these items hold memories of joy and sorrow, fear or love, they hold emotions. So what does it mean to let go of the objects that are holding us back from living into our next chapter? What does it mean to let go of the objects and live into owning material possessions that support who God knows you to be and who God is helping you to become? What does it mean to let go of the objects that don't support that vision that God has for your life? What does it mean for your treasure to be in the kingdom of God and for your heart to lie there? The final third of this morning's scripture has to do with readiness. And this is where the previous two sections, which can at first glance seem a little unrelated, this is where they come together. This is a section in which Jesus speaks of a need to be ready, ready for Jesus, ready for the spirit, ready for God, ready for the kingdom of heaven. This is the section in which Christians are told to get ourselves ready. And there's this professor from Luther Seminary, her name is Caroline Lewis, and this is what she writes about this section. She says, this text is about vocation, not justification. These texts do not point to a simple quid pro quo of be prepared and you will be saved. That's not what they say. Instead, the idea here is to be ready so that when God calls you to action, you seize that opportunity and you spread the good news. Being alert and being ready, they are like potential energy, ready to be turned into kinetic energy when prompted. The energy produced here is gospel-centered, healing and justice, love, grace, peace. So how do we do that? How do we ready ourselves and our world to be flooded with grace and love and holiness? And I suggest that it starts with awareness. Individual and situational and systemic, it starts with awareness. 
To be ready for the love of God to transform the world, we first have to be aware of our fears that come from living in a world in which we have a little bit of control, but not a lot of control. We have to be aware of our fears which drive us to actions of indifference rather than compassion. We have to be aware of our fears that lead us to mindsets of scarcity. Scarcity. Scarcity, like those well-intentioned disciples who didn't think that Jesus could feed 5,000. We have to be aware of the fear that drives us to scarcity instead of mindsets of abundance like Jesus who trusted and knew that all would be fed. So what fears do you need to acknowledge that are getting in the way of being ready for the gloriousness of God's work being done on earth? What is your treasure? What's occupying your heart? If you set your fears aside, how might God be calling you to participate in readying this hurting world for a new era of love and grace, justice and compassion? Might God be calling you to serve at my brother's table? Or to sit with somebody new to church at coffee hour? Or to pray for your neighbor? So friends, as you go about your week, know that you can become aware of your fears and invite God into that space. Know that you have the power to think critically about your money and your material possessions, the treasures of this world, and how they impact spiritual treasures. And know that you are called by God to be a beacon of hope and compassion and love in a hurting world. This scripture invites us into a new kind of action, one not of storing up earthly treasure, but of kingdom building. One of recognizing our fears and coping with them by remembering that we are not alone in building a better more just, and more loving world. Amen.